0: This is a podcast from HSBC Global Research, available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. However you're listening, analyst notifications, disclosures and disclaimers must be viewed on the link attached to your media player.
1: Welcome to Under the Banyan Tree, where we put Asian markets and economics in context. I'm Harold Vanderlinde, Head of Asian Equity Strategy here at HSBC, and I'm delighted to welcome back my regular co host, Head of Asian Economics Research, Fred Newman.
0: Well, thank you very much, Harold. It's good to be back here with you in Hong Kong. And um, I've been out of town for a few weeks talking to clients, and we thought it'd be a great idea to do a podcast on what clients really wanted to know about Asian markets and the Asian economic landscape. So without further ado, let's start the show. From HSBC Global Research, this is Under the Banyan Tree.
1: Fred, welcome back in Hong Kong. Uh, You've been to the HSBC Asia Conference in New York, am I right?
0: That's right, Harold. Still feeling the jet lag doesn't get easier with age, of course. People Uh, can't
1: see you. I can, but I can see the jet lag. (laughs) You can probably see it written in my
0: face. That's right. Um, But it was a wonderful conference with the HSBC Asia Investment Forum. They've been running it well over a decade now Mm -hmm. and uh, great keynote speakers. One of them, by the way, was uh, Chris Miller, who is the author of Chip Wars, which is a book about the the semiconductor industry, the history, and uh, really brings it up to date. Talk about geopolitical tensions when it comes to uh, the semiconductor industry. And we also had Michael Pettis there, uh, professor at Peking University. Uh, for example, who uh, well, talks about China's outlook, for example. But one one of the interesting things is uh, talking to investors in the U.S. is that um, investment in Asia, broadly speaking, is still very light. That is, uh, you know, the, the problem really is for many investors is U.S. interest rates are so high, and that's, that provides a hurdle for investing in other regions, right? If you receive 5% of your return in U.S. dollars on your money, then why go to other economies? And so so you can really feel that high U.S. interest rates are kind of restraining investments.
1: Well, but this has been the story over the last, say, year, right? Rates in the U.S. are high, money goes into the U.S., it strengthens the dollar. Why would you put money into a risky asset if you can get relatively safely uh, uh, something like 5% on a deposit at a bank, right? So that's not been good for, for Asian markets in general. But the tone is shifting here right now correct?
0: It's shifting. And in fact, we see now U.S. interest rates come down very gradually. And so the market is starting to then look at alternatives and maybe emerging markets are becoming attractive again. And and within that, where are we going to invest?
1: Well, we've been there a little bit before. Uh, In the middle of the year, we also had a feeling that, hey, maybe interest rates are going to come down in the U.S. But then uh, CPI numbers, inflation numbers in the U.S. came out and it it looked like maybe Fed has got to do more. But given the tone of Fed talk, it really looks... It looks like we've, we've, we've turned a corner, I have the impression. In, in, it feels like we've yeah. turned a corner yeah.
0: a little bit. The US dollar had also weakened the last two or three weeks yeah. just a little bit, so, so that of course matters as well. And uh, there's some investors who are now looking at 2024 and thinking, is this a year where maybe investing in emerging markets is coming back? Mm-hmm. And, of course, one of the key words, of course, mainland China, where are we going there? And that, that's the anchor, right, in many ways for investing Must have come in, in up in Asia, your conversations all the time. Come up all the time. And, What's and, the mood
1: there in the U.S.? Well,
0: it? It, it's interesting, right, because it's, it's too big to ignore. In many ways, even if you don't, you're not directly invested in mainland China, China is still so large, it matters for the global economy. So investors certainly very keen to hear what's going on uh, there. But I'm also sensing that everybody says, well, you know, now it's too risky at the moment. We don't have visibility. But I almost wonder whether... Uh, If things improve in mainland China, and it's the second largest economy in the Mm -hmm. world, uh, whether it it won't warrant another look then. It's still a big investment class, isn't it, particularly on the equity
1: side? Yeah, so we, we know that some U.S. investors have said we do not want to have a lot of exposure to China. They publicly stated that, and it's mostly pension funds. They're quite big. I mean, that's something like 35, 36 trillion dollars in pension funds in the U.S. So, of course, not everything goes to China. That goes around the world and into the U.S. But so they're a big uh, investor. And then, of course, you have all sorts of other investors as well. And we've seen over the last year and a half, two years, uh, graduate their exposure to China uh, being cut to uh, significantly underweight positions. Uh, that means they have much less than what the benchmarks, the the, the stock market sizes would imply. But if you do not and take a look at, at Chinese equities. Actually, the earnings that are coming through is not too bad. Uh, we're still somewhere in kind of three quarters through the year, but the Chinese earnings are growing at about 18% uh, consensus forecast at the moment for 2023, something like 16 for 2024. That's not bad growth, right, if you, if you invest in something. It's
0: not bad growth. And, of course, the, the other part of the conversation that keeps coming up is, is uh, when, when we talk about Asia investment is India. And, and I think there is a, a, a broad agreement that India's fundamentals have improved. Growth is very strong. Uh, of course, on the fixed income side, we have now bond index inclusion next year yep. that yep. might need to inflow. So it's also opening up more as a market. Um, but on the equity side... Um, yeah,
1: Indian companies, in particular some of the large caps, belong to the most profitable companies on the planet, I'm even willing to say. Uh, uh, Some of the straightforward food companies or companies that sell stuff like shampoo and and, and toothpaste, and basic products, they can be very, very profitable in India for a variety of reasons, got to do with limited competition, difficulties in distribution, and all these sort of things. And if you're profitable, yeah, you you should be trading at, at, at a higher multiple, right? So that, that's one of the reasons why it looks really expensive. But what we've seen in markets more recently is that people have been going into India throughout this year, but more recently, some of the money has been taken away from India and has flown into China initially. Uh, people rebuild positions in China. They're actually, funnily enough, cutting that a little bit again and moving it into the tech companies uh, in, in in Korea and Japan. So the flows have gone up there. We're going to take a quick break here. And when we come back, Fred, I want to talk about the electronic cycle in, the, in, in Asia. Uh, Fred, North Asian markets are really driven by tech, right? Uh, when you were travelling, did you discuss the electronic cycle in uh, in the region?
0: Yes, it started to come up. And I think this is where you have a divergence between micro and macro. Mm
1: -hmm. So in
0: the micro micro sense, a lot of investors are getting excited about the green shoots we're seeing in the electronics sector. For example, DRM prices are lifting. Uh, Korean exports have actually started to pick up a bit. And so there are signs that the electronics sector is recovering tentatively. On the other hand, the macro indicators suggest, well, there's still a lot of headwinds coming through. And so that's, that's, been a, a, a subject of discussion to what extent are the macro headwinds going to restrain the upside on the on the electronics uh, side. But of course, um, that's something that's very dear to the heart of equity mm-hmm. investors. And I imagine yeah, some of the tech yes. uh, names, uh, the tech sector generally has performed quite well of late.
1: Yeah. So what we've seen in, in equities is an anticipation that in particular memory prices, so that's the chip if you, if you do something uh, and you open up your phone again, it, it goes to the the same website, right, that these memory prices, that, that they would go up. This has been talked about for quite some months now, and we've seen these share prices move over up and down in anticipation of it. But over the last, say, six months, actually, since the beginning of the year, these stocks, in particular Korean stocks, uh, uh, are exposed to this, they've really gone up. And we now also see that DRAM prices are moving higher. The issue here is that you get you need more memory if you have servers that run, for example, large data sets for AI. So that's a, a sort of new trend that comes into it. But also the inventory levels is, is rather low. So you see, for example, that the order flows can be pretty good, even though maybe demand, ultimate global demand is, is going to be weaker. So that's a near-term sort of issue that plays a role And I think
0: that's one of the big questions. To what extent are there near-term inventory adjustments and to what extent do you have a lasting pickup? Um, Because some of the indicators uh, we would watch from the macro level, for example, um, it's unlikely that we see a dramatic pickup in global GDP growth next year. Uh, the second one is if we look at global new orders of consumer electronics of industrial electronics they're still deeply contracting yep. um and and so that suggests there are headwinds now some of the the, the things that of a micro level that get people more excited about is you mentioned AI of course that's a yep. secular trend uh, that's new and the other thing is um is there a potential upgrading cycle mm-hmm. coming through because people bought a new mobile phone and a laptop in 2020 21. Yeah. And so by 24, are we then getting into a global upgrade cycle where you could see strong consumer demand for electronics, even if global GDP it's not doing well. And that, that's one of the some of the key questions. Well, that, that are that, being that's asked. the exciting
1: job of an equity strategist, Fred, whereby you can listen to economists and figure out what happens with market. But there's so many other factors that play a role uh, in the outlook for these individual companies that, that make these uh, these chips. But for and the moment, it seems, it seems like, uh, yeah, these, these prices for, for memory chips are moving higher.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, and that's why strategists and economists rarely agree. And that's why we like to give our audience two opinions.
1: Uh, that's right. So one of us is always right. <laughs> uh, at the end of the day, yes. <laughs> okay, good. So, Fred, you've just come back to Hong Kong. You've been traveling for uh, a couple of weeks. Uh, I know you got uh, a little boy at home. So for him, uh, if you go on the, on the road for two or three weeks, that's like uh, 10% of his life already, right? Did he remember you when you came back?
0: Well, you're right, Harold, he's 11 months now. And so when I walk in the door after being away, he he's, has a strange look on his face and looking at his yeah, mom and saying, <laughs> Mom, who's that strange man who came in the door? Yeah. Um, so it's it's a shame because you miss a lot, right? In these two weeks, he uh, made a big jump. He's now waving, and then of course uh, any yeah. parents will get exceedingly excited when he waves his yeah, hands. Exactly. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But well, these yeah. are the small things, of course, uh, you you miss. But but Harold, uh, you're at the other end of the
1: spectrum. Your son also just had a big, uh, marked a big occasion, didn't he? Absolutely. He graduated from the University of uh, of Amsterdam. He uh, studied something called uh, communication sciences which is like a statistics and social media wait
0: he didn't want to become an equity strategist like no, no
1: actually funny enough when he was like eight years old or so he was once here in the bank with me i had to do something on a saturday so i brought him into the office and he looked around and says well what are these people doing here so i explained how the office layout worked and these people do this and that and he looked at me and says i don't want to do that he was already eight years old. They said, "Oh, that's good. Yeah, don't do that. You find a, your own." Eight path.
0: years already—quite a smart boy. <laughs> absolutely, uh, <yeah>. absolutely.
1: <laughs> so he's going his own way now. But yeah, uh, the the great advantage of this uh, Fred and uh, uh, you might have a different view on this—but I don't really have to pay tuition you're, fees too well, much you're anymore. You're an
0: empty nester now. I'm an empty you, nester. You're nest. an empty nester, yeah. and fortunately, I uh, uh, I'm, I'm I'm overjoyed having a son, but it also means I'll be paying college tuition my seventies. Uh, so I feel this podcast. We'll have to well, run for a couple of decades uh, <laughs> in order for me to fund the, the, <laughs> the tuition <laughs> at some point. <laughs>
1: well, good for you then. Congratulations. <laughs> yes,
0: There's always a joy coming back uh, and, and to see a kid. Uh, and uh, so wouldn't miss it for the world. And on that tender note, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to say goodbye for another week. We hope you enjoyed the podcast as much as we did. And we look forward to talking to you again soon.
1: In the meantime, you can get your global economics fix from our sister podcast, The Macro Brief. Thanks again for tuning in and take care till next week.